0: Infirmary Media.
1: People engage stop a jewel in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling
2: in decades. Culture,
1: pop culture, popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Fan Halen locked in mortal combat with David Gray. Spanel, ballet, sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love.
2: jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. It's the adult audio retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to another episode of Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades and weeks they will be fighting for in the week experience. First off, going back in time and over to the 1980s side and dueling with the first week of June, 1983.
0: I'm Mike Ranger, and uh, I did did no research. I'm just going off a straight memory of what I remember (laughs) from the first week of June, 1983.
2: How old were you in the first week of June, 1983? Probably 11 months. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to know a lot. And this week in the 1990s corner is myself, Mark James. I am here battling with the first week of June, 1997. And as always here on our show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. Please rise for the defending Dueling Decades champion in this week's judge, Man Crush.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I thought you were going to say defending. (laughs) Defending.
2: You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I thought you were going to Paul Heyman me. No, I'm not going to Paul Heyman you. I'm not that God. good. Jesus.
1: That would be awesome if you did. But uh, I'm curious to see what you guys come up with. I have no idea what went on in the first week of either one of your years. So it's going to be nice. And it's going to be nice to see Mark on the 90 side and Mike on the 80 side. We're I, We're switching it up a little bit. And I actually like the direction. I think this will be interesting this week.
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and for the weak experience, Hot Products is replaced with sports. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category, the first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five are worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Now, Duelers, let's play some Dueling Decades. All right, so let's do this coin toss here. Just like
1: the last time when I was judge. I have this Modelo Especial bottle cap that shows you how often I clean the studio. It's probably been here since last summer. Uh, So what we'll do is the uh, gold foiled top will be heads and the inside of the cap will be tails. Mike, since uh, you never win at anything, let's have you make the call. <laughs> Ready? Right, let's go heads. It's heads.
2: Here it is. Mike Ranger, you get first pick. What category do you want to start off tonight's duel with?
0: Um, I'm going to go with sports. I oh. think that is... That's the worst thing I got. So let's start let's start there.
1: Oh, it's refreshing though to start with sports. I think so. In 1983, Raleigh Fingers shaved his mustache.
2: He never shaved his mustache, man. Come on, you know that. He waxed it plenty though in 97.
1: Lots of chicks rode that shit.
2: That was in 83. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, what do you got, Mike?
0: All right, so listen, I got two picks. One of them is not very interesting, so I'm going to read that one first and get just get Excellent. that one out of the way. Because on June 4th, 1983, women's tennis legend Chris Everett beats Mimi Johokovic <laughs> for her 15th Grand Slam. She ended up finishing her career with 18 Grand Slams, 157 singles, and 132 doubles titles. That's,
1: per- that's actually a pretty amazing story. I know you don't think it's all that exciting. I
0: don't really know anything about
1: tennis. But how many Grand Slams is the most ever for a female?
0: have no idea. I don't know anything about tennis.
1: All right. you should. In between, you should look that up. That could be big. That could be a bigger story than you think. All right. What
0: else you got? The next story is on June 7th, 1983, Hall of Fame pitcher Steve Carlton became the new strikeout leader, snapping a record that stood since 1927 with a total of 3,526 strikeouts. Carlton was in a battle with Nolan Ryan and Gaylord Perry for a three-year period between 82 and 84. All three players would often rotate the leaderboard. In fact, during the 83 season, there were a total of 14 lead changes. Carlton could not keep his his health up over the next few seasons and eventually was passed by Nolan Ryan. Steve Carlton finished his his career with 4,136 strikeouts, and is number four on the all-time list. Uh, Nolan Ryan's number one with 5,500? It se- it's crazy. It's 5,714 oh, strikeouts. Man. He is ahead of everybody by like almost 1,000.
1: That's almost more amazing than his uh, his strikeouts is the fact that he p- started pitching in like 69. Yeah. And retired in what? Like n- late it's 90s? It's like 94, I think it's his last year. Oh, it was 94. But- he was like forty-five or something. It's like
2: right?
0: right around the time he gets into that fight with uh, Ventura. Yeah, that was awesome. Tar- yeah, best ever. That's the first the Sports spot. Illustrated I ever bought. Was that cover?
1: If you had that, if either one of you had that as your pick, you would have automatically won the round. Oh, that, <laughs> that was. It's a fucking slam dunk.
0: Yeah. So that yeah, that's what I got. A uh, a tennis story. I don't know anything about tennis. And-
1: Oh, again, it's a week. You only have a week to pick something. If that's the two biggest things you had, that's what you had.
0: Well, what's interesting is if had it been five years, later, four years later in 1987, I would have had uh, the NBA finals. But this particular year, the NBA finals ended on May 30th. So,
1: well, that's what that's why I want you to figure out that, uh, that Chris Everett thing while Mark's going, because it could be a bigger story than you think it is, just because like a final for one year is a final for one year, but if she has the Grand Slam record or is like second or some shit, that's a big deal.
0: Well, she's considered a like a tennis legend. I just don't know oh, anything sure. about tennis. Yeah, she was one
1: of the best. All right, Mark. Wow me.
2: All right. So we're going to start off in the first week of June, 1997, and I'm so glad I get to represent June of 97. Because I remember exactly what I was doing in June of 97. I was graduating high school, a time I have, I'm have i very nostalgic about and have some fond memories. And there was a lot of stuff going on in the world of sports. And I remember these things. 1997, the first week of June, we saw the Stanley Cup Finals. The Detroit Red Wings absolutely mauled the Philadelphia Flyers and sweep them in four games. Uh, game one was on May 31st. But games two, three, and four, with game four wrapping up on June 7th.
1: I remember that series. Uh, my buddy Brian's a huge Flyers fan, and he was fucking
2: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Flyers fans were just absolutely crazy on this one. In game four, the two-to-one win brought Detroit its eighth Stanley Cup in its first 42 seasons. Sergei Fedorov led the Wings, scoring 20 points. So, yeah, that's what I have. The uh, Stanley Cup Finals from 1997 with the dominant Detroit Red Wings for my first entry. For my second one, we are also going to go with another championship, the 1997 NBA Finals. Uh, This saw the Chicago Bulls in the Utah Jazz. All right, game one was on June 1st of 1997. The 4th of June had game two. And Game 3 was on June 6th, so that all encapsulates the first week with the Utah Jazz not faring so well against the Chicago Bulls. In Game 1, the big memorable thing that happened was Scotty Pippen totally psyched out Carmelo Malone at the end of the game with 9.2 seconds left in the game. Carmelo Malone gets fouled. He goes to the line. Scotty Pippen walks up to him and says, Just remember, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays, Carl. Oh. Steps to the line, misses both free throws. The Bulls rebound the ball with 7.5 seconds left. Of course, they go to Michael Jordan, who hits a 20-footer at the buzzer for the Bulls winning game one. Is that the fadeaway, like, legs spread wide
1: open to the side buzzer beater? Okay,
2: I'm glad you brought that up because that was against Cleveland in 89. Okay. People always get these two shots confused against utah and against cleveland they were very similar he did the same fist pump and everything i actually remember the utah one more than the cleveland one of course 97 of course, over 89 it's your pick. right yeah <laughs> well no because it was it was 97 <laughs> rather than 89 i was right i get you i, I get was a little you. bit older it was my the year i was graduating high school i remember what was going on so yeah chicago bulls utah jazz 1997 nba finals those are my two sports picks
1: Wait, so is that the closure of the finals?
2: Uh, really, what we get is we get three games. We get games. Uh, uh, we get games one, two, and three. So.
1: Gotcha. All right. Eh.
2: But yeah, the, the pinnacle game was in six, but that didn't fall within my week. That was the famous flu game where Michael Jordan came down with the flu. But So I have to go with the uh, the first three games.
1: All right. I'll be completely honest here. I don't really care about three games in a series. So, like, I'm just kind of negating that one. A final for one year is a final for one year. But if she has the Grand Slam record or is, like, second or some shit, that's a big deal. (laughs) So, this really comes down to Mike knowing that Chris Everett thing. (laughs) What's the deal with the Chris Everett thing? Where does she stand with 15 Grand Slam titles?
0: She's got 18. That was her 15th. Okay. So what was
1: the most ever, though,
0: for a female? Um, That I don't. She had an incredible run, though. She went, like, 13 years of, like, winning a title. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm going to look it up for you. Most
1: Grand Slams.
2: Ah, She's uh, fifth. Really? Who was the most? Fifth
0: all
1: time. Uh, Margaret Smith Court.
2: Re- really? No clue who she is.
1: Yeah, from back in the fucking day, like the 50s or some shit uh then Serena Williams is 23 Steffi Graf 22 Helen Wills Moody another one from like fucking 1400s or some shit at 19 and then uh Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett are actually tied at 18 so that was a big deal because the two of them were kind of neck and neck for a while all right so that's got a little bit of legs to it so you have that and then paired up kind of with your uh, your strikeout leader, which didn't really hold that long.
0: Well, it was a, it was a three. The interesting thing about that is that that race went on for like three years of three guys basically rotating yeah. on and on. I mean, the singular story isn't that interesting, but overall, the whole battle is.
1: Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like the uh the 98 home run derby for pitching. I
2: was just going to say that. Yeah. But I
1: wasn't old enough to really see if it was that monumental. You know, in 98 it was everything was baseball. Was everything baseball in 83, 84, and 85? Was it all about pitching and strikeouts? That I don't know. You know, as a kid, I don't I mean, I was growing up on the Mets and they were just starting their amazing run in uh in 85 and then of course they won the World Series in 86. So that it's a tough one. This one's a lot closer than you think. God, this is a fucking hard one. Cuz I just I think Mark's three games don't really do it for me. The Stanley Cup carries a little bit of weight, but again, it's like I said before about championships in a season. 20 years later, nobody gives a shit. If they had like 10 in a row and this was the 10th one, I would say uh that would be kind of strong. So I'm actually going to side with 83. Just wow. because of Chris Everett being Jeez. such a dominant tennis force in '83 even though Mike thought that was going to be the <laughs> whole well, no, piece of shit no. pick that he had, that was actually a pretty solid pick
0: it's it's tough because i have no I know nothing about tennis, so I have no idea how big this, this story that actually is, so you don't know to like look any deeper into it
1: <laughs> all like, right well i'm going I'll give you that one. So you got a a freebie on that one, because you did not think you were going to get that round.
0: (laughs) No, I didn't. So I get to pick the next round, is what you're telling me. Oh, that means I get to go with my next worst round. You do. You still control the board.
1: You know, that was interesting, though, because I think both of you were kind of clueless of how that would go. I don't think Mark thought his was that strong, either.
2: No, I I didn't have a clue. I mean, it's better than just having, like, some random game. Yeah. But- it's a random finals game. I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah. My
1: personal thing with sports, though, it's got to be something that carries. And I think his did carry a little bit longer than just a single year champion.
2: Oh, yeah. So. in the big picture of it. Right. His had a lot more legs. Right. Yeah. Chris Everett, definitely more legs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, where are we going?
0: All right. So I think for my next one, I'm going to go with news. All right.
2: I had a feeling you might be going there.
0: I'm going to go with the, I got one that's like a little far-fetched. I had to make it, you know, seem a lot better than it actually was. Oh, don't
1: tell the judge that.
0: Well, you know, (laughs) fucking, you you would have figured it out. So, yeah, we'll go with that one. We'll get that one out of the way. So, an article published in the Daily News on June 6th, 1983, titled, Farm Mart Reopens. The story covers the reopening of a farmer's market in in Newark, New Jersey just blocks from a factory where high levels of lethal dioxin was discovered. This factory helped manufacture Agent Orange during the Vietnam War, and the recent findings have obviously hurt the farmer's market and the residents in the surrounding area. Now, the story itself isn't exactly groundbreaking, but as I was doing my research for for, uh, this episode, I kept coming across more and more articles that were centered around, like, toxic waste or uh, the... uh, Effects of like uh, nuclear uh, impacts on the environment. I know where this is going. So what I discovered <laughs> was that in the early '80s, there was definitely like a a, a focus shifting on society and an environment and the bad effects of all the this this toxic waste and all this the the cold the cold war and the the nuclear arms race. And you're getting like you're seeing it in movies and you're seeing it everywhere. So it's really more of a society uh, feeling at the moment. Yeah. That's where I am going with that. Does that make all right? Well, whole-
1: <laughs> in nineteen eighty four, what came out because of what you just said?
0: Toxic Avenger.
1: There you go. That's where that's where I thought you were exactly.
0: going. exactly. And, and basically, every early trauma movie, like in the eighties, is basically a satire of these type of of topics. Oh yeah. So you get like your your uh new high. Yep, the high school
1: right next door N- yeah. to the freaking plant and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right, so that was good. I uh, like the direction you went with that. I- Thank you. I don't know Thank about you. the story itself might be a little uh, shitty, but I, I, it was going somewhere again. It has Thank legs. You.
0: Thank you. I'm All a right. little, I'm a little high and I wasn't able to <laughs> express myself as, as eloquently <laughs> as, as, as some of you, but, uh, so, but my next story is fucking amazing. All right. Because it involves fire, plane and bathrooms. So on June 2nd, 1983, Air Canada Flight 797 flying from Dallas to Montreal had an in-flight fire that started in the bathroom. The plane made an emergency landing uh, over Cincinnati, but less than 90 seconds after the doors were open, the interior of the plane flashed over and ignited. The fire completely destroyed the aircraft, killing 23 of the remaining passengers. This sparked a massive investigation and eventually led to a complete overhaul and improved safety regulations for all flights, that included smoke detectors in the bathrooms, fire extinguishers, fire-blocking seats, and passenger instructions of all fire exits. Uh, this last part is just a personal theory of mine. Uh, this may have been the plane that uh, Alana Morset was talking about in her song, ironic. <laughs>
1: Did that sound a lot better to you when you wrote it down? It did. It it? did. (laughs) Oh, man. Isn't it ironic?
0: Yeah. Don't you think?
1: Okay. So we had, uh, just to recap your round, a bunch of toxic waste going on next to a farmer's market Yeah, we're killing the environment. Killing the environment. And then you had, that's actually a pretty big story because even today, they still tell you where all the exits are. So is that how that stemmed?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. this this flight is basically the reason we have the regulations and the safety precautions that we have today.
2: All right. Wow. It's a pretty right. big deal. All right, so both of my news stories are quite a bit of a downer, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, because if you really want to know all the details, you can look it up yourself. But they're two monumental stories, nonetheless, and one of them I believe even creeps into urban legend territory. The first one, June 2nd, 1997, in Denver, Colorado, Timothy McVeigh is convicted on 15 counts of murder and conspiracy for his role in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, he was found guilty after the trial. He tried to calm his mother by saying, think of it this way, when I was in the Army, you didn't see me for years, Think of me that way now. Nah,
1: I don't think it's the same thing either.
2: <laughs> yeah, not so much. It just shows
1: he's a fucking wacko.
2: My second news story is one that I remember uh, in college in 98 hearing about this. It's one of these things where like, "Eh, I don't know if this really happened. Come to find out, very true. And that is the story of Melissa Drexler, also known as the Prom Mom, who is nicknamed uh, the Prom Mom because on June 6th, 1997, in Lacey Township, New Jersey, she was a high school senior who gave birth in the restroom and left her baby dead in the trash so she could return to her high school prom. I think I remember that. Yeah,
0: I I do remember this, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's one of those stories I'd always heard, I'm like, that's bullshit, you know? No fucking way. This is real, and it happened on June 6th, 1997.
1: And she was, like, hiding the pregnancy, too, right? Like, nobody knew she yeah. was pregnant?
2: Yeah. It, it's absolutely horrible. And uh, I don't want to go into too much detail on it, but it's it's crazy, and I can't believe it actually happened. Oh,
1: man. Way to come with two fucking really shitty good stories.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, yeah.
1: Not even just somebody dying, you have, like, the grotesque murders of innocent people. Uh, but at least in one of them, it's, you know, his uh, the final verdict in the trial, uh, you know, and then how long ago did he die? I think that would have been the only thing that would have topped that story would be his death injection date, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. All right. So over to the judge, man crush. Where do you fall on this round, my friend?
1: All right. This one's actually, I think, uh, the more I think about it, it's probably. I'm going to, I'll side with the 90s on this one, only because I think Mike's first story, it's a lot of assumption. It's uh, very creative, but I don't think uh, ultimately, even if it was just leading the toxic Avenger would be a bigger story than uh, Timothy McVeigh getting his final verdict. You know what?
0: You tell that to the 400 Long Island students who that very same week staged a sit-in at their local high school. <laughs> I was going to go with that story.
1: I will. I'll tell them yeah, all.
0: Nobody likes Long Island.
1: That's uh, really shitty. But I think Mark. both Mark's stories have legs. Like Even the second story, everyone's heard that. And even if you haven't heard the story or know the details, somebody said it before and you're like oh like mark said that's bullshit that didn't really happen but it did and a lot of people do know that story whether they know it because of urban myth or because they know the actual story and now if you listen to the episode you know the actual story so i'm gonna side with 97 on this one uh one to one let's move on it's hogwash mark you have the board
2: (laughs) all right final one point round man where do i want to go with this one Let's go to tv for my first pick we are going to season two episode 11 which happens to be the very final episode of a television show called freakazoid put out by warner brothers this was a cartoon that a lot of people really didn't get into at the time but has a huge cult following now the problem with it is Warner Brothers really wanted to market it to like the animaniacs crowd and to a younger crowd, but really it skewed to kids that were 14, 15, and 16. It had pop culture jokes and references in it that were way above the heads of, of the little kids. So it really, they marketed it to the wrong audience, but pretty strong show nonetheless. My second series is an HBO show called Perversions of Science. And on June 7th, 1997, we saw the debut of not only the first episode, not only the second episode, but yes, the first three episodes of this TV show, The Perversions of Science, which, if you've never heard of it, it was a spinoff of Tales from the Crypt. But it was kind of a more futuristic, sci-fi, sexy (laughs) version of it. What? What? Yeah, no, I shit you not. The intro segments, instead of the Crypt Keeper, had a, a sexy robot who looked oh, like the fun. girl from, like, the pinball, pinball machine. And to start each clip, she would push a button on her nipple, and then, oh my god, like, a TV screen god. would open up in her boob, and then the camera would zoom into her breast. It was amazing. So, yeah, it's all these, like, sexy, twisted tales that were all adapted from old 50s comics, much like uh, Tales from the Crypt. So, yeah, Perversions of Science. You can check out some of the episodes on YouTube. It's never been released on DVD or Blu-ray. Very sought after, of collectors and uh, fans of the series. All right. Sounds good. Do you know the uh, executive producer that was? Uh, Perversions of Science or Freakazoid?
1: Uh, Perversions of Science.
2: Uh, I don't.
1: Richard Donner. Superman fame.
2: That's right. I didn't realize that.
1: All right. So you had two picks that are very short-lived short-lived
2: and shows that found an audience after the fact so be that as it may it is what it is all right it's it's tv june 1997
1: for the first week yeah it's a small sample size (laughs) you get what you get
2: well june tv anywhere it's reruns and reruns right
1: the season's over you're not getting any debuts right you just missed all the endings This is a tough spot for TV. So
2: yeah, the only reason I got a debut is because it was on HBO at the time.
1: Right? Yeah, cables. uh, You know, they're on their own fucking schedule. All right, Mike, what do you got? Make this one easy for me.
0: Oh, I think I did. (laughs) Well, you know, I think time time made it easy for all of us here. Uh, (laughs) 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 How high are you? (laughs) oh boy alright so airing for the first time on PBS June 6th 1983 was a program that invited children to take a look it's in a book Reading Rainbow hosted by LeVar Burton uh, was a half hour television series that encouraged, encouraged children to read it ran for 21 seasons 155 episodes received 26 Emmy Awards it's also the third longest running uh, children's program on PBS behind Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Butterfly in the Sky, I Can Go Twice as High. <laughs> Reading Rainbow.
1: And they just brought, didn't they just raise like money or whatever to bring that back? Yes, they did. So it's still around, still pop culturally relevant. All right. That's definitely, uh, that's
0: a good one. Yeah. Well, d- don't get too excited because my next one. Is is incredible. Uh, the daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding <laughs> Game Show has been has been given since its inception in 1974. In 1983, Betty White became the first woman to win the award for her hosting duties on a show called Just Men. Which is pretty interesting that she's like the first woman to win this award for a show called Just Men. Uh, but Just Men was an NBC game show with two female contestment two female contestants, with the object being to predict answers to questions uh, posed to a panel of celebrities, all who are, are men. And you uh, basically would win keys, and hopefully that key would start a car. Ah, but yeah, Betty exciting. White. Be- Betty White becomes the first woman to ever win that award.
1: I'm more excited about the fact that they could win, like, a Chrysler LeBaron or something.
0: Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Until, Have you ever done gone to one of these, like, key-starting things at a dealership No, before?
1: but the, don't you get, like, hosed with uh, taxes and shit like that when you win a car? Well, if
0: you actually win, but I remember one day my father fucking woke me up at the crack of dawn and drove me on down to the old dealership, and we stood there with, like, 300 people, only to find out <laughs> that fucking his key didn't start any car. It was a waste oh. of a fucking Saturday. He must have been pissed. Oh, I would have been
1: furious. All right, so Mike has reading rainbow, so Mike wins.
2: (laughs) It's that fucking easy. I mean, dude. Yeah, but does does reading rainbow have a robot who has a TV screen coming out of her left tit, dude? Which I just sent you a GIF to our chat, so you can check that out for yourself of the uh, the intro of perversions of science.
1: I see it, and it's interesting. But it's not LeVar Burton. It's not LeVar Burton, and it's not, you know, it only lasted 11 episodes, and it got canceled. I don't know if it got canceled or if they just did 11 episodes, but it was over the next month. It was over in July. I don't know. Maybe it was just, like, a short-run thing, but I just looked it up while Mike was talking, and it actually only has 233 ratings on IMDb, so it's that forgotten about. I wanted to, like, Look into that because I completely forgotten about that. uh, Tales from the Crypt had uh, a spinoff. But yeah, and then the other one, Freakazoid, I mean, it lasted two seasons, which isn't that crazy for a cartoon. A lot of cartoons last that long and then they just syndicate it and, you know, repeat the shit out of it for 10 years. But um, I think they missed the boat. They were a little they were in the wrong sphere of ages. So that, you know, it, it fizzled out. And especially it being 97 I think, yeah, uh, they just
2: marketed it to the totally wrong age group, and it even got to the point where once they realized the audience, they even contemplated moving it to prime time, which I think would have saved the show. But they decided to just end the run instead.
1: Well, that's where you started getting those late night shows. You know, you had the exactly. Simpsons early on. There wasn't; it was edgy, but it wasn't as edgy as like Family Guy, and then you know shit like that. So. Uh, but yeah, I gotta go with reading rainbow, man. As soon as he started reading rainbow, I was like, yeah, fucking TV rounds. This is an easy one, finally. All right. So we got uh it's two points to one. 1983 is in the lead. Mark, you're uh you're losing with the nineties. I don't know if it's the nineties. What's going on? I don't know, man. It's a tough one. Two pointed rounds, anything can happen. We still have movies and we have music. Two big ones. All right, let's do this, Mike. Well, my
0: first pick is let's talk about the Us Music Festival, which was a music festival founded by Apple co-founder Steve was- uh, Wozniak. Is that yeah. how you say his name? Is it Wozniak? Is that how you say I don't know. He wanted to encourage uh, the people of the 1980s to be more community-oriented and to combine music with technology. The festival was held twice, once on Labor Day in 1982, and the second show was Memorial Day weekend in 1983. 1983's attendance was a reported 670,000, and somehow they still lost 12 million. Yeah, um, yeah. What's interesting about this particular festival is that it's a four-day festival starting on Saturday, May 28th, uh, with New Wave Day. And then on May 29th, they do Heavy Metal Day. And May 30th, they do Rock Day. And you're seeing bands like The Clash, Oingo Boingo, Motley Crue, Van Halen, U2, David Bowie. But the fourth day is Country Day. And it's held a week, a week later, later. A week later <laughs> yeah. on Saturday, June 4th. Uh, Willie Nelson is there. I mean, that's cool, but interesting. I've never seen that done before.
1: Yeah. Actually, it's funny that you bring this up because uh, in December of 2017, I believe, we had Glenn Avini on our show. Yeah. And Glenn did a documentary all about the US Festival, which I was calling the US Festival at the time. And our then network that we were on uh, scolded me afterwards and made fun of me for calling it that. But I know better now. And we also heard a great story that Glenn told us about um, David Lee Roth getting head from a groupie (laughs) in a car while he was, like, (laughs) hanging out the window, just, like, nonchalant, getting head. Hey, what's up,
2: guys? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you
1: guys want to come on in, like, have some beers? And the whole time he's just getting blown. But, yeah, if you go back and listen to that episode, it's, like, an hour long of him just telling us stories about that and why it took so long for that to actually get a documentary and these videos to be released. And it was all held up a copyright and all this crazy bullshit. But uh, yeah, Wozniak lost a ton of money, but you know, it is a big story though, because that kind of led to these big festivals for money uh, right. as opposed to like, you know, Woodstock and shit. That was just a kind of like a, an accident, uh, like a yeah. huge fucking, but- like
0: what the fuck? If you don't mind, let me also point out that uh, you know he want, uh, the whole point of this was for Steve Wozniak wanted everybody to be more community oriented, which plays into my earlier story that you didn't think was so interesting about <laughs> us killing nature and shit. <laughs> so if you want
2: to go back and change your pick, man,
1: I don't think the two really hold up. I think he was just trying to get his dick wet and uh, drop thirty million.
2: I think the problem in Mike's logic here is his opponent is the hippie not the judge now see if I was judge you could have you could have played that to me but you know
1: hey I gave I gave you the trauma points I just didn't think it held up all
0: right well you, you sit on that for a couple of days
1: <laughs> was that the first us festival or the second us festival it's the
0: second us festival but in the second us festival they add the fourth day which is the, uh, um, the week it later. It's the country day that's held a week later. So it's it's interesting from the perspective of who does a festival that way.
1: Right. Now, his documentary, yep. just if you go back, it's about the first one. Right. But
0: Anyhow, go ahead. All right, my second pick. For six weeks, starting on May 28th, 1983, a single of off the Flashdance soundtrack topped the Billboard charts and later won an Academy Award for Best Original Song, The song I'm talking about was performed by Kara is Flashdance, What a Feeling, Uh, the song that inspired so many of us to take our passion and make it happen. A fabulous song (laughs) for a fabulous 80s film. So yeah, that was the number one song if you were listening to the radio between June 1st and June 7th.
1: Did you eat a lot of paint chips as a
0: child? Uh, I did live (laughs) under power lines, but...
1: Uh, All right, that's uh, that's solid... Solid jam. It's got some legs to it. it might come on and you would get into it. Can you give? Me, can you drop me a chorus line for extra points here?
0: I don't know if I'm limber enough to like really fucking. I didn't you know,
1: ask you to dance, man. Just I, well, sing we're, the we're doing tune. a video
0: too. I don't want to disappoint <laughs> the people that are just tuning in. Uh, nobody watches our YouTube anyway. What a feel. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm oh
1: man, that was it. That was sad. <laughs> what a feel. No. I can't do it. He's definitely not a maniac. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, he's definitely not. Wait, is that the same song? No, those are two different songs. That's a different different song. song. Shit. That would have been a better song to have, but the the other one's not bad. All right. So we had uh, the Us Festival, second Us Festival, and then we had uh, Oh, What a Feeling. Was it Oh, What a Feeling or just What a Feeling by Kara. What a Feeling. What Um, a Feeling. I think she should have went with ah What a Feeling. Yeah.
0: Uh, what if it, yeah,
1: whatever. Oh, dude, I tried to set you up there. And you I'm sorry, man. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, Mark, what do you have for music?
2: All right. For music, I am so torn on this one. Sometimes in music, you just have to go with something that you can't believe that you're talking about this because it's just, you. yeah. Yeah. I know so here we about. go. 1997, we get the debut album of Days of the New.
1: Shelf in a Room. Yeah,
2: not my favorite album, but (laughs) Days of the New was a post grunge staple in the late 90s. Uh,
0: (laughs) What the fuck?
2: This album had three singles off it uh, Touch, Peel, Stand, The Downtown, and Shelf in the Room. So if you're a Days of the New fan, this is a huge album. It kind of started it all for them and, and ended it all <laughs> ended it at the same time. <laughs> Dude, that
1: guy was like crazy young. I remember like the lead singer yeah. was like fucking 19 or some shit.
2: Yeah. He was like Kenny Wayne Shepherd. His voice did not match who he was. No,
1: not at all. If you can explain to me what the song shelf in a room is about, I will give you a little edge. Not not that kind
2: of edge an edge in point oh, so you so I saw
1: you I saw the fucking smoke coming out of your ear
2: edge there wow I'm not a days of the new fan so I, I can't even I not I don't even know the song Be creative what would a song about a shelf in a room mean a
1: shelf shelf in a room
2: <laughs> for me I think it would be a song somebody would write sitting on the can and you're just sitting in your bathroom and you're like There's a shelf there I could fucking write a song about this while I'm sitting on the shitter in the room,
1: and that that was like their biggest song too. I I've never looked it up. I don't know what the fuck it's about, but it's so stupid. Sound dumb as fuck. Anyhow, go ahead.
2: Second album is an album I'm sure Mike is very familiar with. On June third, nineteen ninety-seven, Wu Tang Forever is released. The follow-up album from the Wu Tang Clan. Uh, it was a double-disc album it has the the great triumph song on it if you're a wu-tang fan this is a classic it didn't have all the big singles on it but you know i think for a true fan of wu-tang this is definitely the album that you wanted to have in your collection was wu-tang forever coming out june 3rd 1997
1: yeah that's a good one triumph's great what, no, what are some of the singles off of that
0: well triumph is the single off that uh yeah. basically everything else on it is not made for radio right had they had the balls to release another single off of that album, I think they should have went with Dog Shit featuring the <laughs> old dirty bastard because that's a fucking good one. No, that that album's amazing. I can, I remember going to the store and buying that album the day it came out.
1: What's the song where he's like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to take a hot red hot poker, I'm going to get real hot. I'm gonna stick it in your ass, like.
0: Yeah, so that is like, um, that's like a an interlude of the of the first album.
1: Uh, but it's not on that. It's not. It's on not on that one.
0: Oh, it's on the first fuck. album. All right. I'm gonna sew your asshole shut and just keep <laughs> feeding you, feeding feed you. you.
2: <laughs> so fucking great. Yeah. Well, let me just add this: that Wu Tang Forever debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 with. Six hundred and twelve thousand copies sold in its first week. It was certified four times platinum.
0: It's huge album, yeah.
2: For a hip hop album, that was huge. I mean, Wu Tang was one of the first major hip hop acts to start selling in those types of numbers.
0: For a group of that that's like Wu Tang, that is not yeah. built on the like radio. A, a, for to be a commer- They're not a commercial um, group at, at all. Right. For them to put up those kind of numbers is
2: well, they had to put up those kind of numbers because you got to split that money like 15 ways. Yeah, no shit. But, yeah, and, man. and it's all
1: pre internet <laughs> shit, too. Like, yeah. I mean, the yeah. internet's around, but it's not like it is today. You know, motherfuckers no. on AOL weren't in there like, yo, Wu Tang forever. You know, like, <laughs> you just, knew, that was some underground shit that was really popular. Yeah.
0: And, you know, the thing about Wu Tang is that Wu Tang is like the great unifier. People that aren't even hip-hop fans, like heavy metal dudes, would tell you that they like Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang's like a movement. It's so much more than... It's like Public Enemy.
2: Well, you know Wu-Tang is for the children.
0: Yeah, you gotta you gotta thank the old earth for that.
2: That's right. If we would have had this in the one-point round, I don't think I would have pulled out Days of the New. Uh, the album I wanted to pull out just because I'm a personal fan of it is G3 Live in Concert. That's Joe Satriani, Eric Johnson, Steve Vai, If you've never heard this album, it's on Spotify. If you're a guitar fan, this is just an amazing piece of music. Joe Satriani comes out. He does three songs, including his hit Summer Song. Eric Johnson comes out with three. Steve Vai comes out with three. And then all three guitar players come out and they rip out three tunes together, including Frank Zappa's uh, My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama and Jimi Hendrix's Red House. So, really cool album, but All right, Mark, you had me you had me
1: at Wu-Tang, so you could just stop with yeah, uh, know, the excess. But- you, you definitely got this round. You got Wu-Tang, you got fucking Days of the New, even though you don't like it. Like you said earlier, a lot of this, you have to find an album that's not monumental really, but something that's big enough that people will remember. And I think if you would have picked G3 over that, then it would have hurt. You. But I mean Wu-Tang killed it compared right. to mark's or mike's picks um if mike had us festival the first one maybe it would have been a little bit yeah. more but i don't think uh it still would have won i think that wu-tang uh is way bigger so
0: no Wu- wu-tang is forever
1: yeah for sure and i uh i went to the nxt event on Sun or on saturday and i wore my rick flair woo shirt which is in the shape of a wu-tang so there you go and uh that one goes to 97 first week of june 97 is up now three points to two mike wins this round he will take it it's gonna be a close
2: one. coming
0: down to movies
2: Uh, i'm sweating this one i'm sweating this round what do you
0: got mark anaconda
2: (laughs) no i don't have anaconda i wish i did my anaconda don't want none unless you got buns son (laughs) All right, so my for my first film, released June 6, 1997, Buddy, starring Rene Russo. Oh, is this
1: going to be that kind of party? I'm going <laughs> to stick my dick in the mashed potatoes.
2: <laughs> this is a fact-based story about a socialite and her husband who live in a mansion with a brood of animals, including chimpanzees who they raise like children, putting them in funny clothes, putting them in funny clothes, <laughs> diapers. I liked it better when you said closes. Funny clothes. <laughs> funny clothes. Holy <laughs>
0: shit. Cute. What time are you do back on Sesame Street?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all that fun ends when uh, she takes the chimpanzee and the gorillas to the Chicago World's Fair, and they get free and go ape shit on the crowd, and she was never able to tame the wild animal again. Go figure so
1: wait was this a comedy or a fucking thriller what is this
0: it was everything
2: this is the weird part about this movie this is a family comedy they totally don't focus on the uh the fact that the animal got crazy in the end it's mostly about her raising the animals like children
1: oh and they they kill it at the end too right
2: i i don't know i did not watch this
1: movie nor will i that sounds fucking horrible i can it does i'm really hoping that your second pick is better than the first one but again if you really want to push this stuff you got to think in 97 movies like buddy are the reason that we didn't get Nicolas cage playing superman that's true sad
2: well speaking of on june 6 1997 we get the greatest movie from Nicolas cage ever made the only one that he's done that's worth a goddamn and that's con air that was released and of course if you've never seen this movie john malkovich Vig rames dave chappelle steve buscemi danny trejo the list just goes on and on of fantastic actors and of course the legendary john cusack is in this and the very fine looking monica potter is that where you got wearing sandals with socks no, I've actually always worn socks and sandals, man. I just I saw it in Conair, and I I noticed it, but I had already wearing socks and sandals before then. So disgusting. I'd like to be able to say that's where I got <laughs> socks and sandals from was Conair. I did see
1: that one in the movies twice. Matter of fact, yeah,
2: I love this movie. It's it's fun. My biggest problem with the movie, of course, is Nicolas Cage.
1: His southern accent is the worst. He reminds me of uh, Lenny from
0: Mice and Men. You don't like him in uh, Raising Arizona? No. Really?
2: I like him in Raising Arizona, but I didn't like him in this. Like, I love the movie. The character's great. Just his performance of it. Get rid of the southern part.
0: But then you don't get that moment where he's just like, put the bunny in the box.
1: (laughs) 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 Just missed an Academy Award
0: on that one
2: just a bit outside <laughs> <laughs> it is I a like good movie mo- though. i like that it- movie
0: a lot that whole era had a really uh, a bunch of those type of movies you get like con air you get the rock you know yep. shit like that
2: yeah. and it's nice to see john cusack playing an adult for once
0: oh yeah
1: yeah because you hadn't really seen john cusack for a while you know he kind of stepped yeah, out so- and then came well, back with that
0: well, you, you've got that when does he do gross point blank What year that's is after that, that.
1: oh that's one that? no 2000 maybe or 99 somewhere around there
2: actually gross point blank came out april 11th 97
1: oh no shit okay so that was yeah that was his run of those movies i thought that was later
2: all right yeah no you're thinking of high fidelity that was oh yeah you're right i always get high fidelity and gross point blank confused myself so
1: they have nothing to do with one another, but <laughs> no, they don't. But
0: <laughs> they both have John Cusack.
1: Well, except for that. Coming from the high guy to correct us. All right, sorry guys. So we got uh, Buddy, the movie that nobody's heard of that actually made it to the box office, uh, and uh, Con Air, which is an excellent pick. So basically, it's Con Air against whatever Mike has.
0: And what do you think I have, gentlemen? Go ahead, take guesses. I'll, I'll listen to all. Oh.
2: I have no clue. Nothing? This really? This is a total fucking mystery, man. Oh, man, you're going to be so fucking
0: excited when I tell you. All right, on June 3rd, 1983, Steve Martin broke our funny bone with a movie so funny you'll laugh your head off, The Man with Two Brains. Steve Martin plays Dr. Michael Hoffenferfer, <laughs> uh, a, a world-renowned surgeon who falls in love with a talking brain. Uh, the film went on to gross over $10 million at the U.S. box office and became one of the most memorable VHS covers on our rental shelves. Yeah, it was a good one. Do you remember that one? It's not quite the jerk, but it's f- it's funny.
2: I've actually never seen that one. I've always wanted to, but I've never seen it. One of the few Steve Martin movies I've missed.
0: Yeah, I had options. I was going to go with Psycho 2, but yeah.
1: Well, you do get two picks.
0: Yeah, but another pick came uh, another choice came along i I know what it is because i posted it today to the facebook well you know (laughs) yeah i noticed that
2: no (laughs) it's not that is it
0: stole my fucking thumb all right (laughs) right, but anyway jesus so fucked also on june 3rd 1983 one of my go-to movies, when I just want something to watch while I'm ready to go to bed, uh, was released, uh, bringing all our, our fears of the Cold War uh, to life and teaching us that when it comes to the game of war, the only winning move is not to play. I'm talking about the amazing film War Games, starring Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, and Dabney Coleman. The story follows a bright but underachieving teenager who breaks into a military computer and sends the government into World War III panic. The film grossed $79, 79 million against a $12 million budget, was nominated for three Oscars, and saw a sequel in 2006. You should, probably shouldn't have, You
1: probably shouldn't have brought up the sequel.
0: You don't. You don't like the fact that they made a sequel to War Games. Sequel. <laughs> I didn't
2: know they made a sequel. It's. I have bad. no idea. Yeah.
0: It's. But it's War gross. Games is fucking amazing. I love fucking War Games. Yeah, it's amazing. It, yeah.
2: It really is. It's a fantastic. Great movie. movie.
0: All right. So
1: this all comes down to the man with two brains is better than Buddy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what yeah. that comes down to. And then uh, even if we were to say. Con Air and uh, War Games was a wash, which I don't think in my brain, I'm going with War Games over Con Air, but they're both kind of like, you know, not really realistic, obviously, and they're fun movies to watch. Yeah,
0: but you know something? The interesting thing about War Games is that people thought it was possible. Yeah. You know? like Reagan was like, saw that movie and looked at his guys, was like, can this happen?
1: Yeah, there was, there was a lot of scary shit in that movie that could happen- now, I think in 1983, it probably could have happened as well. Not the way that they were putting it on with, you know, the Professor Falcon and all the other added story bullshit to it. But, yeah, it, it's a really fun movie, though. And if you can tell me the password to his high school's uh, grade database right now, I will give uh, you the round. Whoever gets
0: it. It's a pencil.
1: Oh, he got it.
2: Fucking right Fuck off the bat. It. hey! <laughs> It Damn. is pencil. It was I've, wa- I've
0: wasted my life, gentlemen, and I'm very proud of it.
2: <laughs> All right. Which movie is more far fetched? War Games or Con Air? Con Air.
0: Con Air, because who? <laughs> Con Air, because they would have never let him take that bunny on the plane.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's true. There's no way Bubba Gump was in jail.
2: Well, there's no way he could have got that kerosene on the on the plane either, man. That was more than 12 ounces. Oh,
0: that's such a fun movie, man. <laughs> I really I love Con Air. That's a good movie. And why were they flying such a piece of shit?
2: Yeah, it was like the worst plane ever. Let's like, take the worst of the
1: worst and put them on the worst plane ever. <laughs> I think they were hoping for that to crash is what happened. Yeah. Or, or didn't happen. Or didn't happen. Well, that's what they wanted. But yeah. Well,
2: no, technically it did crash.
1: It did. They didn't die, though. No, unfortunately. It uh, crashed down on the strip and took out a sign throughout the
0: building.
2: It was the hard rock, man. Was it the hard rock? Yeah, I,
0: mean? I think he does. Yeah, that, yeah. Takes
2: off the uh, the neck of the guitar on the hard rock. All right, man, Crush. Give us your final ruling oh, on, this, on this duel.
1: It's fucking easy. I'm going with the 1983 on this one. Uh, he's got two good movies. You have a good movie and utter trash i mean (laughs) i'm you know i can't blame you because i'm looking back and i I, you know i'm not digging deep into research here but the stuff that's on the surface con air buddy i'm even shocked that buddy made 10 million dollars because what you read sounds like rubbish
2: yeah it's only got a 4.6 on imdb and for a kids movie that's fucking atrocious
1: the pillow book I don't even know what the fuck that is.
0: But but 97, something had to come out, maybe not that week, but what came out in June? What was the big movie of that No, year?
1: you had um, Jurassic Park is in 97, uh, The Lost World. Okay. So that made a shitload. Um, That's
0: like the big, there's got to be something else.
1: Oh, man, Mark, you were a week away from getting Speed 2 Cruise Control.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I know. If only you had that.
1: Listen, Classic. here this is the summer of ninety seven. I actually have this as one of my worst movie. Uh we I had an article that was up on poop culture back like way back in the day. It was like our worst summers of movies. We rated them. And I believe 97 was my worst one. There's some decent movies in the summer, but listen to the shit you get. You got The Lost World, Jurassic Park. I mean, it made a shit ton of money, but that's garbage movies. I don't like that movie. Yeah. It's terrible. You had uh Speed Two Cruise Control. Okay. which somehow made $150 million, too, and that, after the first that's... fucking weekend of the box office, I don't know why people went.
2: Well, it's because of the, the star power of the guy from Showgirls.
0: <laughs> you love that guy from Showgirls, man. <laughs>
2: no, uh, he,
1: no, the guy from Showgirls was in the first one. He was in the second one, was he? Oh, that's right. He had the boat in the second one, right? Yeah. Uh, ah, yeah, all right. They brought him back. Uh, then you had uh, Batman and Robin. My Best Friend's Wedding, which I guess chicks probably like. But then you had Men in Black came out later in the summer. George of the Jungle, which was a fucking turd. Contact.
0: Oh, Contact. What an awesome movie wow. up all the way up to the end when they ruin it.
1: Uh, Ruined Spawn yeah. came out that summer. Man,
0: that is a bad summer for movies.
1: There's some decent stuff in there, though. I mean, like well, I said, you I, Men, in, Men Black. in Black
0: was a big deal. I can't like that. That was yeah. huge.
1: Airbud. Which one? The first one.
2: Oh wow! I wish I would have had that, man. That's monumental. Yeah. First Airbud. You guys are
0: yeah. fucking crazy with that. Have you guys ever seen an Airbud movie?
2: Oh yeah. yeah, of course. Space Buddies, oh, man. Geez.
0: See, I have, I have younger brothers who watched Airbud movies.
2: I actually
1: won around on Airbud. Yeah, once. I know you did. And I can't <laughs> believe that you fucking did
0: that. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> all right. So anyhow, so this is going to uh the eighties again. Mike Mike's taking it home. Mike actually got a victory. I didn't man. win
0: shit. The fucking eighties won. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, it all boils well, down to that sports round and your uh your Chris Everett fine there. Yeah, that I, I yeah.
0: that's fucking great. I, I thought for sure the Steve Carlton thing was just just huge. <laughs> yeah.
1: you, you just didn't sell it well enough. No nah. you sold that one bigger it would have been, but I think uh, you had a pretty decent round. This was a close one, though. There was a couple rounds that uh, split
2: in Hairs. Well, let us know what you think about this one. You can get a hold of us over on Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. You can also go over to DuelingDecades.com where you can listen to all of our past episodes as well as subscribe to us on CastBox and on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. But thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Dueling Decades. And we will bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone.
0: Infirmary Media.